0: When we know what to do, why don't we just do it? And Particularly in in today's age where we have the world's information at our fingertips, we don't have the excuse of not knowing what to do anymore. Who doesn't know basically how to lose weight? Who doesn't know that if you want to have better relationships with people, you have to be fully present with them? Who doesn't know that if you want to do better at your job, you have to do the work, especially the hard stuff that other people don't want to do? We know these things. So there's no excuse anymore to say, well, I just didn't know how. What we're lacking is the ability to follow through. We're lacking the ability to avoid distraction. Getting ahead in life is not just about doing the right right things. It's about avoiding not doing the wrong things. And that's what becoming indistractable is all about. It's about whatever it is that you say is important to you in your life. How do you make sure you do those things? So let's start with defining what we mean by distraction. So the best way to understand what distraction is, is to understand what it is not. So the opposite of distraction is not focus. The opposite of distraction is traction. They both come from the same Latin root, meaning trahare, which means to pull. Traction is any action that pulls you towards what you want to do, things that you do with intent. The opposite of traction is distraction, anything that pulls you away from something that you plan to do, something that you are not doing with intent. So this is super important for two reasons. One, I think it frees us from this moral hierarchy that what you do with your time, that's frivolous. But what I do with my time, that's okay, right? So me watching football, that's all right, but you playing Candy Crush, not okay. I argue no, anything that you want to do with intent that is according to your values is fine. They're both pastimes. There's nothing wrong with them. Anything can be traction. And just like anything can become traction if you plan for it, anything can become distraction as well. So for example, I work with a lot of folks. They say they're gonna do something. They say they're going to work on that big project. They're gonna stop procrastinating to do that thing that they've been planning to do right after they check email, right after they scroll that Slack channel. Right after they do that quick thing that that they have to talk with a colleague real quick. And so 30, 45 minutes later, they still haven't started to do the thing they plan to do. We are slaves now to the urgent, at the sacrifice of the important when we do that. In today's age where technology is so pervasive and so persuasive, I mean, it is designed to be persuasive and we want it to be persuasive. We want products to be engaging. Then it's easier than ever to get distracted. So we've got traction, we've got distraction. We have two things that move us towards traction and distraction. We have what's called an external trigger or an internal trigger. External trigger is what kind of everybody blames on distraction, right? It's the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in your environment that prompts you towards traction or distraction. Now, they're not inherently bad. These tools are not somehow evil. If a notification on your phone says, hey, it's time to wake up and hit the gym, or it's time to go to that meeting, or it's time to do the thing you plan to do, it's moving you towards traction. But if you get a notification on your phone while you're with somebody that you plan to spend time with, in my case, it was my daughter. Uh, One day I got this notification while I'm spending time with my daughter and I'm checking my phone as opposed to being fully present with her, that was moving me towards distraction. So those are the external triggers, but it turns out even though we love to blame those things, we think that that is the root cause of the problem. Uh, In fact, the psychology of distraction goes much, much deeper. That most distraction, it turns out, Is not spurred by the external triggers at all. Most distraction does not start outside of us, but rather starts from within. That the root cause of why we become distracted is because we feel these internal triggers, these uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape. Neurologically speaking, we only do things for one reason, and that is to avoid discomfort. Physiologically, we know this is true. If you uh, go outside and it's cold, that's not comfortable. What do you do? You put on a coat. And when you go back inside, now it's too hot, that's not comfortable, you take it off. If you're hungry, you feel hunger pangs, you eat. And when you're stuffed, oh, that doesn't feel good, you stop eating. So physiologically, we feel this all the time. This is called the homeostatic response. The same rules apply with psychological sensations, not just with physiological sensations. So when you're feeling lonely, check Facebook. When you're uncertain, you Google. When you're bored, check the news, check sports scores, check Reddit, Pinterest, whatever. All of these things cater to these uncomfortable sensations. So that means, if all human behavior is spurred by a desire to escape discomfort, that means, as you said, time management is pain management. And so this is why it is the most important first step, that with all the ways you can you know, life hack yourself and all of the guru's technique du jour, fundamentally, if we don't deal with this fact that we are trying to escape an uncomfortable sensation when we become distracted, if we don't understand it and learn new methods to cope with that discomfort, we're always going to be distracted by one thing or another. That we are so uncomfortable doing nothing that we just want to feel something. We need some kind of sensation. This is by design. I think one of the things that bothers me, I think uh, by some self-help experts is that they kind of preach this gospel that somehow if you're not happy all the time, if you're not satisfied with your life, somehow something's wrong with you. And it turns out that evolutionarily speaking, nothing could be further from the truth that our species is designed to be perpetually perturbed. Right? We, we have this instinct of feeling bored to prod us to go do something, to go search, to find better resources, to improve our lot in life. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, that we can harness that. right? This is the same impulse that helps us develop uh, life-changing medicine, helps us uh, uh, invent new things, helps us shoot for the moon. It comes from that desire for more. So I don't think the answer to all of our problems is to not want, to not crave, to not desire. I think the answer is to channel these internal triggers towards traction rather than distraction. I mean, if there's one thing that our brain is incredibly good at is pattern matching. So if the brain feels discomfort and then finds something that can relieve that discomfort, that's what it forms the habit around. We need to understand that if we are to fight distraction, if we are to be the kind of people who do what we say we're going to do, we only really have two choices. We can either fix the source of the discomfort in our life, whatever it is that's causing us this pain, or we need tactics to cope with the discomfort that we can't alleviate are our own. For, for example, you know, we, part of being human is that, part of the human condition is that you can't solve every problem in your life. You can't even, I would argue, you can't even keep yourself from feeling those feelings. What you can do is change how you react to your emotions. And so that's the really important part, is either fixing the source of the problem where you can, or learning tactics to cope with that discomfort in a healthier manner. One of the things that people do that doesn't work is strict abstinence. Now, strict abstinence is when you tell yourself, I am not going to do that thing. And it turns out that strict abstinence, uh, for many behaviors, backfires, particularly behaviors that are very difficult to avoid completely. How do you abstain from food if you're on a diet? We have to eat. How do you abstain from technology these days? I mean, it's imperative to do our jobs. We can't just say, stop using email for 30 days, you'll lose your job, you'll get fired. So for those type of potential distractions, We don't want to just abstain. When we do abstain, when we tell ourselves, no, absolutely not, it's almost like pulling on a rubber band. That when you pull on a rubber band and you stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, stretch it, and you let go, it doesn't just go back to where you started. It ricochets even further. And that's what happens when we employ uh, strict abstinence. We tell ourselves, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, okay, fine, I'll give in. And that sensation of relieving the discomfort of telling yourself not to is itself pleasurable. This is, why, this is a big reason why smokers get addicted to cigarettes. Smokers, when they, when they are mindful about the experience of smoking, they actually rate it as not pleasurable. It's stinky, it's, you know, it's not very pleasurable. There's nothing inherently pleasurable. Nicotine does make you feel a certain way, but many smokers don't actually report it. It makes them feel good. It just makes them feel something. What gets them to, to keep smoking is not only the physiological effects of the nicotine, what more so gets them addicted is telling themselves, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Finally, I smoke. And now I'm relieved of the discomfort of having to tell myself, don't do it. So strict abstinence oftentimes backfires. You can give in to any distraction, whether that distraction is checking email when you wanna work on a big project, whether that you're tempted to Google something or or do uh, eat that piece of chocolate cake you know you don't wanna have. You can give in to that distraction in 10 minutes. 10 minutes of doing what psychologists call surfing the urge. When when it comes to these uncomfortable emotional states, we know that emotions don't last forever. In the moment, we think they will last forever. That's how the brain spurs us to do something about it, right? It spurs us to action by making us think, I don't wanna feel this way anymore. But logically, rationally, when we think about it, emotions are like waves. They crest and they subside. So we can surf these urges like a surfer riding a wave. So for 10 minutes, what what I oftentimes do, I'll take out my phone, I'll say, set a timer for 10 minutes, I'll put my phone down, and my job for those 10 minutes is to simply reflect on that sensation and talk to myself the way I would talk to a good friend, with self-compassion. So what many people do when they tell themselves no, when they try and not get distracted, they fit into two buckets, the blamers or the shamers. The blamers say, oh, it's my phone that got me distracted. It's Facebook, it's YouTube, it's my, you know, it's Slacks. That thing got me distracted. The shamers, this is the category I used to fall into, Say there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not cut out for this job. I'm lazy. I have a short attention span There's something wrong with me, right? And we shame ourselves And of course that's not helpful either because where does this shame spiral lead? It causes more internal triggers which makes us even more likely to seek a distraction to escape that uncomfortable emotional state Yeah, so how do you diffuse it? You don't become contemptuous you become curious So for 10 minutes your job is to reflect on that sensation to feel that sensation with curiosity rather than contempt, or to get back to the task at hand. And nine times out of 10, by just setting that 10-minute rule and saying, I can give into that distraction, I can have that chocolate cake, I can go check you know, my email or Google, or whatever it is that I am tempted to do, but in 10 minutes. It's an incredibly effective and simple technique.